Welcome to the Lost Roman Heroes podcast, episode four, Lucius Junius Brutus. My name is Matthew. And my name is Mateo. See, that came across as much more natural at that time. Yeah. Don't you think? Could, maybe. I don't know. Guess okay. I'd have to wait till we hear it back. <laughs> okay, sounds good. So together, Mateo and I are taking a deep dive into the history of Rome from its founding to its death uncovering Rome's greatest heroes along the way, and we are ranking them. But in this episode, we're going to focus on Lucius Junius Brutus, the man who ended the reign of the last king of Rome and is credited for founding the Roman Republic. So before we dive into his biography, Matteo, let's try to orient ourselves as we do in the podcast on the map and in history. All so. Right. If you go to our website, www.lostromanheroes.com, you're going to see for episode four a bunch of images. And unfortunately, I wasn't smart enough to rank this in the order in which we're gonna need them in the, in the episode. But if you scroll down a little bit, you're going to see image number, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep, there you go. So image number four, is a map of the city of Rome or the settlement of Rome as it existed in the lifetime of our hero, this episode's hero, Lucius Junius Brutus. So what do you think about that map, Matteo? Um, I like maps. <laughs> okay, all right. It's a cool I, map, you know? Yeah? Yeah, I like maps too. So This is not the city at its peak, right? At its ex- Obviously not, but like this is... Is the city of Rome currently around this size right now? No, this is this. No, the city of Rome is much, much bigger. This is the city of Rome as it existed in 500 BC, which is the time of this episode. So, 500 BC. If you take a look at the map, everyone, you'll see a much smaller Rome. So Rome was very much concentrated around the Palatine Hill. Yeah, the Palatine Hill, the Capitoline Hill. The Aventine Hill, and that is, this is Rome now 250 years after the founding, just to put it into perspective. And if you scroll down a little bit more, there's another map, which is the Italian peninsula, and it gives you a sense of the big areas of influence. So the kingdom of Rome or the city of Rome was was really just Rome and and maybe it had started to expand a little bit but the part that you see in green in the map Matteo is the is is the area of Roman influence the italics yeah so much bigger and you had mentioned this in the last I think our last episode when we were talking about Romulus how Rome started to influence the Latin city-states or the Latin towns and that gives you a good sense. Now, Rome has been around for 250 years, and it's already expanded its sphere of influence to almost, let's say, maybe not half the peninsula, but maybe a third of the peninsula. And if you move north along the peninsula of Italy, you see that pink part, and that was Rome's Etruscans. great nemesis, yeah, the Etruscans. 
So that's where we are. We have a city of Rome that was founded 250 years before by Romulus. And remember that Romulus was Rome's first king. And we're now in the time of Rome's seventh king. 250 years after. 250 years after, and a guy named Tarquinius Superbus. Not a very Latin-sounding name. No, it's not a very... Tarquinius is definitely not a very Latin-sounding name. So let's get into that. Who is this Tarquinius guy? Because to understand our hero, or maybe not a hero, but our candidate for a hero, Lucius Junius Brutus, we need to understand his nemesis, Tarquinius Superbus, the seventh king of Rome. So let, let's, who are these Tarquinii or Tarquini? Um, the Tarquini or the Tarquins were, which sounds like a name out of Game of Thrones, doesn't it? Yeah, or like Admiral Tarkin from, from Star Wars. Oh, uh, yeah, you're right. Grand Admiral Tarkin, Grand Moth, something yeah. like that. I, I, I imagine they must have gotten it from this guy, no? Probably. Probably. All right, well... There is some good historical analysis for you. So the the Tarquins produced two of the seven kings of Rome, number five and number seven, and Tarquinius Superbus was number seven. Now, as Matteo pointed out, the name doesn't sound super Latin because it wasn't. The Tarquins were descended from an ancestor called Demaratus of Corinth, So this is somebody that had come from Corinth in Greece to the Italian peninsula and settled in Etruria, which is the part north of Rome, 150 years before. And when he got there, he married an Etruscan girl called Tanaquil, which also sounds right out of the Game of Thrones. So Demaratus of Corinth married Tanaquil of Etruria, and they created a line or a family that lasted and they moved from Etruria to the city of Rome and gave Rome two kings. So, and by the way, they probably moved because this guy, Demaratus, he was never really accepted by the Etruscans. So he and his wife felt the need to to move on and they went to Rome and they sort of found acceptance. Hmm. So, uh, Lucius Tarquinius Superbus, which is the full name of the last king of Rome, he was a pretty successful king. So he started to expand Roman territory. He started to bring the Latin tribes more under the Roman sphere of influence. And the city of Rome that had started, remember we talked about it in our last episode, started by Romulus with a few followers, a bunch of guys, a bunch of dudes, basically. Yeah. It, it had grown to 35,000 people by the time Tarquinius Superbus was, was the king. So, that's a good little village. Yeah, that's a good little village. That's about the size of the town I grew up in in Connecticut. So, To put it in perspective. Yeah, to put it in perspective. So... Tarquinius, Lucius Tarquinius, Superbus was a nickname. Did you know that? Yeah, because like, superb. Yeah, but not in the superb sense, but he was a snob. Oh. So, remember, when Romulus established the government, he was the king, but Romulus also established the Senate. And Lucius Tarquinius 
had a reputation for being a jerk to the Senate. Like, That's not nice. So what, they nicknamed him that? Yeah, so as, as epitaph? Yeah, exactly. You're a snob because you look down your nose at us. And so that became, uh, he became known as Superbus, not because he was a superbly great king, even though I think he was a, a pretty good king. But what's interesting is that from its very beginning, the Senate had this power, even when it was a kingdom and before it became a republic. Like Romulus took care to pay attention to the Senate and to sort of treat it like it was an important part of the Roman government. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but this guy didn't. So to make things even worse, Lucius Tarquinius had a son who was a massively spoiled brat. An even bigger snob. An even bigger snob. And his name was Sextus. So, it already sounds like a spoiled brat. Yeah, Sextus doesn't sound good. And when I tell you what came next, it's going to sound even worse. So Sextus had a little problem, other than the fact that he was a huge spoiled brat. Sextus had a thing for another man's wife. Ooh. Hmm. That's never a good outcome. It's not a good setup. No. Doesn't really always lead to good times. No, it doesn't lead, <laughs> it doesn't lead to good times. It doesn't lead to good outcomes. Outcomes. So we have an arrogant king, and we have the spoiled brat prince who has a thing for one of the most beautiful girls in Rome, but also one of the most decent girls in Rome and her name was Lucretia or Lucretia okay but I'm gonna call her Lucretia that's not really it looks like it makes a little more sense yeah yeah okay so let's run with it so there was a very lovely girl in Rome and her name was Lucretia now by all accounts she was beautiful and by all accounts she was not a ton of fun uh. Well, she was a serious girl, and the Romans were serious people, so she was considered a true Roman. She embodied all of the old Roman virtues. All right. And when the husbands went to war and left their wives behind, other wives would gather in somebody's home, and they would have a glass of wine, and they would gossip. Oh. Naughty. Oh. Naughty stuff. Like drinking a glass of wine and gossiping. That just wasn't considered... You not understand what's going on. Wasn't considered to be virtuous. Right. But not Lucretia. What would she do? She would stay home and she would knit, waiting patiently for her husband's return from work. What, a, what an adventurous lifestyle. Not necessarily adventurous, but it was the kind of stuff that the Romans prized. You really, know, they, they were all about they were all about hard work and decency. Those were the old Roman virtues. So, her husband's name was Lucius Tarquinius Colatinus. So you have that Tarquin name again, because this guy was a cousin of Lucius Tarquinius Superbus, the king, and so he wasn't like in the line of descent, but he was a cousin of the king, so he had a pretty high position. Yeah. And her father was the chief magistrate of Rome, whose name escapes me right now. So this is a woman that came from good, good noble stock, and she was a serious girl devoted to her husband and devoted to 
a life of virtue. A good fella. She was a good fella. So there was a moment in her life. This is 508 BC, or BCE. I'm never certain which one to go with there. BC or BCE? I say BC because I'm more accustomed to it. Yeah. So BC is... Before Christ. Before Christ. We're talking about Christ. And some people... Some people don't like that. They prefer to go with the BCE because it's non-denominational. I guess, I guess they get a little put off, but it's just a, it's a historical, um, what's it called? Check, check mark? No, oh, um, what's it hmm? called? <laughs> bookmark, <laughs> historical bookmark, yeah. Yeah, it is. Well, it was certainly historical, and I mean, it was used up until very recently. That was the standard. At any rate, 508 BC, or BCE. This was the year of the 68th Olympiad. Nice. Interesting, no? Yeah, an odd girl. 68th Olympiad, I don't know, I'm assuming they held it every four years. So what's four Only times 68? Six, what's four times 68? Four times 68. Quick. Eight times four is uh, 32. Four times 60 is 100, 240. Uh-huh. So 32 plus 240 is 4, 5, 6, 7, 272. Oh, dude, that was awesome. 272 years. That was amazing. Nice. I really loved it. Wow. That was impressive. Surprised myself. So I'll double check that. You, <laughs> you double check it. All right, so 508 BCE, the king of Rome, Ooh. Lucius Tarquinius Superbus. Right. Nicely done. Lucius Tarquinius Superbus says, we're going to go wage war against a city called Ardia. And he gathered all of the noblemen, because that was the army. The noblemen, and I guess they, they, brought, they brought the plebs as well. And they went and laid siege to Ardia. So siege is grueling stuff, and at night, men do what men often do when they're on a boys' trip. You know, they gather in somebody's tent, they have a glass of wine. Gossip. And they start gossiping, like yep. the girls were doing at home. And so they started gossiping about their wives, which doesn't seem like a great idea, but they did. And they got into a bit of, not a pushing match, but a, they started bragging about whose wife is more virtuous because these are the ancient Romans. They're not talking about who's more beautiful. Who is the, who is the emblem of uh, the embodiment of virtue? Leave it to men to make it a competition. Right? So they all start bragging. But this Lucius Tarquinius Calatinus guy, and I'm just going to call him Calatinus because it's a really long mouthful of a name. Calatina said, no, guys, uh-uh-uh-uh. I'm married to a woman named Lucretia, and Lucretia is absolutely the most virtuous. So this is what they did. Ardia, you're looking at the map, right? It's not super far away from Rome. Yeah. Right? A few hours, maybe. Okay, maybe a few hours. And so they said, hey, listen, let's settle this little argument. Let's sneak back into Rome without telling our wives, and let's spy on them and see what they're doing and see which of them is actually virtuous. Like, what are they doing when we're gone? Let's not speculate. Let's go see. So they went, and I don't know how big the group was. I don't think it was the king. It was kind of the leading men. They went back to Rome, and they peered through the window. And when they peered through the window, Calatinus's window, they saw Lucretia. And she was being truly virtuous. She was home knitting, not drinking a glass of wine, wasn't cavorting, wasn't giggling with the girls. She was just waiting patiently for her husband to come home. I bet LTC was pretty happy. Uh, LTC. Okay, I got it. 
Calatinas. Yes. Yeah. I think he was super happy. He's like, see, told you so, guys. But there was a little tiny problem. Sextus was there in the group. And when Sextus looked through the window, guess what happened to him? I don't want to know. He fell madly in lust. Oh, no. Yes. He fell madly in lust. He lusted for Lucretia. That's not very virtuous. It's not virtuous. He is not very virtuous. And so these noblemen returned to the siege of Ardea, or Ardea, but Sextus. No. Yes, Sextus turned around, and there are a few different historical accounts. We, this story comes down to us through three different Roman historians, Dio, Livy, and Dionysius of uh, Halicarnassus, or Halicarnassus. Halicarnassus. Halicarnassus, thank yeah, you. And Sorry. Yeah, I botched that yeah. one. So, but, but this is the basic story. He, Sextus, son of Superbus, son of the king, crept back into Rome, no. crept into the house, no. and said, Lucretia, you have two choices. Choice number one, marry me, and someday you will be my queen. Choice number two, you're not going to like. And Lucretia, because she was virtuous, said, no, there's, there's, I can't marry you. I am married, I am faithful, I am loyal, I'm devoted, I'm virtuous, whereupon Sextus raped her. Yeah, it's, it's horrible. That's and, disgusting. No, it's horrible. And, a lot and of I, raping going on in the early years of Rome. There's a lot of rape. You're exactly right. You have the rape of the Sabines. You have the rape of Lucretia. And these are, what's interesting, I thought, is that these are f part of the founding myth of Rome, has these two stories about the abuse of women. But this particular story is one that winds up catapulting Rome into... Democracy. Into, into the Republic. So... This, you have this abusive, high-handed king, his spoiled brat son. Foreigner king. Foreigner king, because he's Etruscan. That's exactly right. And he destroys the honor of this virtuous woman. The rape of Lucretia. And if you Google rape of Lucretia, you're going to see a million different images. And if you go to our website, we have a couple of the more famous ones, including one by Rembrandt. Um, which is quite cool. So, so after the rape, and remember I said there are three different historians, that Roman historians that tell this story, and they're, they're, the aftermath of the rape varies a little bit in each of them, but I'm going to condense the stories into one, which is Lucretia sends a letter to her husband, Colatinus, who, remember, is, is at the siege of Ardea, and she sent a letter to her father as well and said, Please come home. I need you. So Colatinus returns to Rome with friends. And one of those friends is a guy named Lucius Junius Brutus. When they got to Lucretia's house, or Colatinus's house with Lucretia, Lucretia explained to them what had happened. And she asked them for vengeance. She said, you need to defend my honor. And before they could stop her. Before they could react, Lucretia grabbed a dagger and plunged it into her heart and stabbed herself to death. Jeez. And if take a look at the, the Rembrandt painting in, uh, on our website. 
the Rembrandt painting on our website, you can see Lucretia in the moment just before she plunged the dagger into her heart. That's rough. That's that's rough. That's intense. I mean, it almost reminds me of Pirates of the Caribbean. Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. Why is that? You know, Davy Jones' locker, the heart and the chest. Like. Oh yeah. You gotta stab it. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. All right. I haven't Made seen that for a while. All right. So yeah, a little Pirates of the Caribbean. But you can imagine, her dad is there, her husband is there. Her husband's best friend is there. All of her loved ones, all the strong men in her life. And Lucretia kills herself after demanding that they avenge this horrible crime. Not allowing there to be a discussion. No discussion. That was it. So, and since they were virtuous men? Since they were virtuous men. First of all, she collapsed into the arms of her husband. Aww. Brutus and Colatinus vowed revenge. And Brutus took the knife. Now, why did Brutus took the knife out of her chest, which seems a little weird. Seems like something maybe her husband should have done, that sort of personal space. Maybe LTC was not an alpha man. Maybe. He was a beta male. Maybe he was a beta male, and Brutus shows his true colors here. So here's a little quote from Livy. I'm trying to not quote a bunch of things because your mother told me that quotes put people to sleep. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? I mean, none of us are professional podcast connoisseurs, so. That is true. So I'm going to try to sprinkle in a couple little quotes. I like some quotes. Just a couple little quotes, right? Yeah. All right. Listen to this quote. This is Livy on what happened after she stabbed herself. While they were overwhelmed with grief, Brutus drew the knife out of the wound and holding it up before him reeking with blood said, By this blood most pure before the outrage of a prince, I swear, and I call you, O gods, to witness my oath that I will henceforth pursue Lucius Tarquinius Superbus his wicked wife, and all their children with fire, sword, and all other violent means in my power, nor will I ever suffer them or any other to reign at Rome. He threw down the gauntlet. Yeah, put a little curse there. Not only am I taking out Superbus and his nasty kids. And his wife. And his nasty wife. But there will never, ever be another king of Rome. That's a big claim. It's a pretty big claim. And it, it makes me wonder, was that a spur of the moment thing? Or, or is that something <laughs> imagine, he's been thinking about for a while? Imagine he went home that night laying in bed. Oh, man. Oh, I, man. Did I really Whoa. say all that? Oh, did I, <laughs> Crap. <laughs> did, I, did I say that out loud or was I thinking it? So, all right. That's the setup. And that begs the question, Lucius Junius Brutus, who was this guy? So we know he was born sometime in the mid-500s BC. His mother was Tarquinia, who was the sister of the king, sister of Tarquinius Superbus. And his mom was the daughter of Lucius Tarquinius Priscus, who was the fifth king of Rome. So Brutus is not just some Joe Schmo. This is the guy that has real royal blood. Right. And that means that he was the nephew of the seventh king of Rome, the guy that he just vowed to kill, vowed to, to, to wipe out, extinguish. Yeah, to extinguish. So if you go back to our website, Mateo, there's a family tree for this episode, and you see there Demaratus, who was Demaratus of Corinth, and you can see the line of descent 
that brings us to Lucius Junius Brutus. So Lucius Junius Brutus, now he was in the line of descent for the for uh, uh, for the kingship. for the kingship. Exactly right. Now Superbus had kids. It would probably never come to that. But the reality is, he was fairly highly placed. Now we know something else about Brutus. When Tarquinius Superbus came to power, he stole Brutus's inheritance, according to the Roman historian Dio. And at some point, I don't know when, Tarquinius killed Brutus's brother. And then he kept Brutus around at court just for fun. Because that's the dummy whose brother I killed, stole his money, he's descended from kings, and I'm treating him like a court jester. Jeez. But this is, this is kind of cool. Brutus sort of went along with it. So he knew that he didn't have he didn't have a lot to stand on here. Yeah, he was royal of royal descent, but the truth is, if the king wanted to have him have a little accident, uh, he could have an accident. Yeah. So he didn't complain about the death of his brother, and he didn't complain about the fact that his uh, patrimony was stolen, and he hung around court. But this was just too far. Well. So far, listen to this. Let, let, me, let me put this, run this past you. Lu, Lucius Junius Brutus. Think about that last name, Brutus. Does it sound like anything you know? You speak Spanish. Does it sound like a, a, a word you know in Spanish? Idiot. Exactly. Exactly right. That's exactly what it means in Latin and Italian and all the Romance languages. Brutus means dummy. Bruti. And so Brutus... It wasn't a family name. It was actually a nickname. And he let the nickname stick. So this Brutus is not related to the Brutus 500 years later. He is, because it becomes a family name. It becomes something that's carried on. Pretty ironic, because there was a lot of very very intelligent Bruti. Absolutely. And this guy is one of them. And you're going to see it as the story unfolds. So you can imagine this guy had a very big chip on his shoulder. For sure. Right? And so maybe, just maybe. Ah, sorry, one other thing. He was like sort of court jester, the dummy that Superbus kept around. But he also had one official post in the royal administration. And that is he was the tribune of the Salaries. And that was a religious post that basically had one responsibility or one power. Brutus had the power, the tribune of the Salaries had the power to call a meeting of the Curiae. And the Curiae were a group of patricians, not plebes, we're talking about nobles, that had the power to ratify king's decrees. So this is probably some subset of the Senate, and the tribune of the Salaries, Brutus, had the ability to call them together so that they could ratify things like that the, the king had done. A Congress, basically. Sort of like the Congress, exactly. And so that is a super important power, and we're going to see it pop up in the story shortly. So let's get back to the rape. Brutus was... Calatinus was distraught. The love of his life just got killed. Yeah. Right? But Brutus was pissed. And you get the sense that maybe this wasn't a spur-of-the-moment thing for Brutus. You know, he's been... Shitted on, for lack has, of a better term. He has. We, we try not to use words like that in the podcast, but I'm yes. sorry. Yeah. But he's been, he has been the doormat 
of the seventh king of Rome for years and years and years. And my take on it, and I could be wrong, is that he was looking for an opportunity. And when Lucretia plunged the dagger into her heart, that gave him the opportunity. So Colatinus picked up the body of his wife, and he and Brutus and the father took her body to the Roman Forum to stir up a revolt. So Brutus used his power as a tribune, and he called the patricians to the Forum. So the, the plebs were already there. The little right. guys were already there in the street. They never liked Superbus, and now the royals were there as well. And everybody Anonymous. gathered around Brutus, and he made a big speech. He started listing all the grievances, everything that Superbus had done wrong. Um, he's very high-handed. He treats the royals like they have, the nobles like they have no power. He's not good to the plebs. He's a foreigner. And finally, his son raped the most virtuous woman in Rome. And then he said that he was prepared to do whatever he could to make certain that no one ever ruled Rome again. The Romans should rule Rome. No king should rule Rome. So maybe this guy's no dummy. Sounds like a pretty, a pretty sharp guy. Sharp guy with a plan, right? Yeah. Sort of. Sort of. With an aspiration. With an aspiration, and he saw an opportunity, and he's, he's ready to take advantage of it. Right. So he sent the crowd out to bar the gates of Rome. Now remember, the king is not in the city at this point. The king is still laying siege to Ardea. And so when they bar the gates, the king of Rome can't return to the city. So that was step number one. And step number two was Rome has a senate. But until this point, there are no consuls of Rome. And the people gathered there in the forum elect Brutus and Colatinus to be the first consuls of Rome. And what, what's a consul, Matteo? A consul is one of two um, elected kind of co-presidents that serve a year long term, to my understanding. Yeah. So that... They're elected by elected by the people, right? Yeah. And so in some ways it's 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 kind of direct democracy. Some ways. Some ways. Right? Because not everybody will be eligible to be a consul, but these two are the first. These are the first two consuls elected in Rome's history. And so no one man holds all the power. So one exactly right. Exactly right. And so and at the end of the year, I think you can be reelected, but it you need to be need to put it to the vote again, which yeah. is a complete, a radical innovation and a dramatic break with what Rome had been historically, which is really uh, a, a king. Right. So here's an interesting little story, a little side story, a funny little side story, because Brutus is known as the founder of the Roman Republic, and, and we're going to get into that in, in more detail. But Livy suggests in the history that maybe Brutus wasn't really a Republican at heart. Maybe Brutus really wanted the power for himself. Maybe he wanted to be a king. And he tells a story. Many years before, King Lucius Tarquinius Superbus sent his sons, he had two sons, Aruns, or Aruns, 
and Titus with Brutus to Delphi in Greece because he wanted his sons and Brutus to consult the god Apollo and the oracle of Delphi on some matters of state. He wanted to get some insight as to what the gods were thinking, so he sent these guys to Greece. And when the boys arrived at Delphi, they spoke to Apollo, appealed to Apollo at his shrine, and said, they asked a question that wasn't the dad's question. They said, hey, Apollo, which of us is going to be king someday? Sounds like something I would have asked. Right? And then Apollo answered, or a voice echoed from the shrine, saying something very peculiar. <laughs> Mateo is doing, is doing something that's making me laugh. The voice said something very peculiar, Mateo. Listen to this. This is the God. Whichever of you, young men, shall be the first to kiss his mother, he shall hold supreme sway in Rome. That's a little weird, coming from a God. <laughs> a little weird, right? Yeah. So these three geniuses, or let's say the two geniuses that are the sons of the king and Brutus, they, they draw lots to decide which of them should be the first to kiss his mother when they get back to Rome, which is really odd, very odd. But Brutus had another thought. So on their return to Rome, he started thinking that maybe the oracle didn't mean mommy, but, but maybe the oracle or Apollo meant Mother Earth, not his birth mother. So when he got to Rome, he pretended to trip, fell to the ground, and he kissed the earth. An omen. So Livy says that maybe this was some early indication that Brutus was destined for greatness and destined for the supreme power. And the other two kids kissed their mom? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if they ever got around to actually kissing their mom, but I think you get the sense that maybe Sextus was looking forward to it. He was a, he was a, he was a weird dude. That's weird. All right, so let's get back to the Roman form. We've just barred the gates. Colatinus and Brutus have just been elected the first consuls of Rome, and news gets to King Tarquinius, who, remember, was not far away from the city, that this had happened. So he started plotting to retake the city. First, he sent bribes into the city to try to bend people to his will. Hey guys, I'm not that bad. Here's some cash, open up the gates, I'll come back and I'll take care of all my friends. Yeah. So an interesting thing, or an interesting, I don't know if interesting is the word, but amongst these people that he tried to bribe and who apparently were willing to take his money and were wanted to open up the gates for him were Brutus's Two sons. Wow. Titus and Tiberius. That's so, pretty messed up. It gets more messed up. Brutus and Colatinus find out about this plot. They seize the conspirators, including Brutus's two sons, Titus and Tiberius, and they execute the conspirators. Till his line just ended. Brutus stands by and watches as his two sons are executed in front of him. Now, I don't think, well, I was going to say something kind of ridiculous. Of course, he didn't like it, but he didn't raise a hand to stop it because he was determined 
to follow through on his oath and that this was going to be the end of, of the kingship. But I bet he must have been hurt by the betrayal because if they were to let Tarquinius back yes. in, it would have been him on the chopping block. He must have been absolutely hurt by the betrayal. And so he did something else at this time, which is also kind of weird. He forced his co-consul, Colatinus, to resign. So Colatinus... Yeah, the guy whose wife's suicide and, and rape started off this whole movement. He forced Colatinus to, to resign. Why? Because, remember Colatinus' first uh, full name was... Uh, Tarkin Colatinus. Oh, yeah, Lucius Tarquinius Colatinus. Yeah, and so he had the Tarkin last name. Even though Colatinus was not as closely related to the old king as Brutus was, but Brutus's father's last name was Junius. And oh, so. Lucius Tarkus Colatinius and, and Brutus were cousins? They were cousins. Yeah, they were distant cousins. Okay. And so Brutus somehow manipulated this whole thing, or maybe this was the custom in ancient Rome, that if the name that matters is the name that you get from your father, because he was somehow able to say to Colatinus and forced Colatinus to resign that, sorry, buddy, you're a Tarquin. What a great best friend. Great best friend. So I don't know how he pulled it off. But he did, and then he made a friend of his co-counsel, or he manipulated the election, or maybe it was just public acclaim. But Publius Valerius Poplicola, I kid you not, Poplicola is, is also, it's like Brutus, it's sort of a nickname, and it means man of the people. So this guy's real name was Publius Valerius. Right. He became the co-counsel. And the consuls said, this is it. The Tarkins are not going to go quietly. Yes, we barred the gates, but there's clearly a genuine threat to the city, and this is going to be all-out war. So they seized all the possessions of the old king in the city, and that old king went to Etruria, so to Etruscan lands, and started getting different Etruscan towns to join him to send their men to form a new army that he was going to use to take on the city of Rome. Right. And he did. So this Etruscan army approached the city. Brutus and Publius Valerius gathered a Roman army. Publius Valerius took control of the infantry, and Brutus took the cavalry. Mm. And at the Battle of Silva Arcia, the Romans and the Etruscans met in battle. First, the infantry held back, and the cavalry took the field of battle. Right. In charge of the Etruscan cavalry was Aruns Tarquinius. The son. The son of Superbus. So he's, he's the brother of the nasty dude. Sextus. The, exactly. The brother of Sextus. And so they met at the center of the field. These guys were cousins. Brutus was cousins with Aruns. And this is what Livy said about the battle that followed. And he's talking about Brutus and Aruns. They charged with such furious animosity, neither of them heedful of protecting his own person, provided he could wound his opponent, that each, pierced through the buckler by his adversary's blow, fell from his horse in the throes of death, still transfixed by the two spears. So they killed each other. They killed each other. Damn. In the middle of the battlefield, battlefield the two cousins met. 
and they killed each other. And they fell impaled on each other's spears. What do you think about that? That's pretty intense. I would agree with you. That sounds pretty intense to me. Does it make you think anything else? Uh, <laughs> is there some deeper meaning? <laughs> I think that... Huh? Well, at any rate, that was, uh, that was the beginning of the battle, that these two died. And then Publius Valerius took the field with the infantry, and it was a long battle, but eventually the Romans won the day. So they defeated Superbus, and that was the end. And Brutus became kind of a martyr, I guess? Brutus became a martyr, and he was mourned by the matrons of Rome for a full year because he had avenged the honor of Lucretia. So how was he related to the Brutus we know later on if his line died? Uh-huh. That's a great question. So his line, his line didn't... That's a good question. I think we're going to have to get into that more when we get to Marcus Brutus who was, there's so many parallels between their two life stories. And you want to hear something interesting? If you scroll up, on, if you go to the website, www.lostromanheroes.com, that coin that we have there in this episode, that's an image of Lucius Junius Brutus. It was minted by his great, 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 great grandson, Marcus Junius Brutus who is the guy that had a little run-in with Julius Caesar. 450 years later. In 450 years. So maybe we'll learn when we do the research for that episode exactly what the line of descent was. But we know that Brutus's line didn't die because it's a name that recurs through Roman history for, for centuries. So yeah, Brutus was dead and he was mourned by all. He was a martyr. And he ejected the last king of Rome. There would never, ever again be a king of Rome. But there would be an emperor. There would be many emperors. And tyrants. And there would be tyrants. And one dictator. One dictator? Julius. Ah, yeah, you're right. 100%. Julius. You know. And Julius was, we'll talk more about him. But he was a little high-handed about things. He was. And some people started to think that the way he was talking sounded a lot like... A king. A lot like a king. And so a man rose up. A cabal led by a man. A Brutus. And it was a Brutus. Exactly right. Isn't that cool? That is pretty cool, the parallel between the two yeah. uh, relatives. Incredible. So this evolved form of government that Brutus helped establish drew its power somehow from the people. There was no hereditary kingship. Although even before in Rome, the form of government that Romulus founded, it was not... Aspects of democracy. Yeah, the king was sort of elected. Yeah. But, but and now... And there was an electoral... It was a legislative system, right? It was. Sort of. It was. It was a small group of people that were doing the electing and choosing, but still, it wasn't a kingship like we think of kingship in... England. Yeah, in England or France. Well, I guess in England they also had the 
what's it called? They had a body of, of Elderman as well, right? You're talking Magna Carta? Or no, but you know, Alfred of Wessex. Yeah. They had something called, um, man, I for, the Wigan, the Wigan. Ah, the, the Wigan. The, the right? The Wigan. Was it Wigan? Or is that, uh, no, that's sort of, like, that's what witches do, right? Wiccans? The Wigan. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Oh, that was a really good show, by the way. Last Kingdom. Loved yeah, that the, show. The Witten. The Witten. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Sort of a consultative body. So this is, we're talking 2,000 years before, right? No. When was Alfred? Alfred was... Mm, like 900, 800 okay. AD. All right. So this is like 1,500 years before. So my point is that the Roman kingship was always a little bit more consultative. It wasn't, it wasn't hereditary. But Brutus eliminated it that. Dynastic. It was exactly. Thank you. That's a good word. Dynastic, and that is his legacy. No more king of Rome. The Senate rules supreme, with two consuls on top that are elected to serve one-year terms. A incredibly modern concept, and we have it thanks to him. So, to sum it up, or to sum up the history before we get into ranking. We have this question of, and we've had it the last few episodes, is it myth or is it history, this guy? And I feel like we're on much firmer ground now. With Aeneas and Romulus, you and I both knew, and that was part of what made it so hard to talk about them. We were talking about deep in myth with Aeneas, Romulus, maybe there are some little, little specks of firmer ground to stand on. But with Lucius Junius Brutus, this is someone who existed, there's archaeological evidence uh, that's been found in the forum that supports the st- Livy story of the Civil War with Superbus. And we know that the form of government that was established there survived essentially unchanged for the next 500 years. So Lucius Junius Brutus, you were a man, you existed, and we're talking about history. So let's, let's rank him now. So the ranking. Question number one, Mateo. How big was their military success? Well, in terms of achievement, I mean, a 10. He did, he accomplished his goal, and he extinguished the Etruscans and um, kings in Rome for 500 years. Uh, He was killed in the end, so maybe... A 10 wouldn't be the right score to give him. If he was truly successful, he would have survived. He would have lived to see it. So I think maybe a 9. I mean, he got as close as he could get uh, without dying. You're saying a 9 for this dude? I think so. Okay, I'm thinking... The thing is, he didn't. we don't have... I guess, does it matter how much you fight? So he, like if you think about his actual, he mobilized the people, he barred the gates, he killed his cousin, he killed his own kids. Is that a, well, is he, that a military, does that factor into the military calculation? No, that's political because it was an execution. Okay. And he organized the army that defeated the Etruscans. He did, and he, he led... A group of soldiers in the battle as well that ultimately were victorious even though he fell 
And presumably he fought before because he was part of the army whenever the when the king went to Ardea. Right. He must have been he must have been active in other in other fights. All right. This is the by the way, this is the first time I'm gonna put a different score than you on anything, but it's okay. I, I think I'm gonna score him a little bit less. Because I don't know. Maybe it's just because we don't have a lot of detail. But I'm going to give him a seven. In, in terms that. of military success. I'm going to give him a nine. Okay, that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. L.J. Brutus. I'm putting him, I'm doing a little spreadsheet here so we can keep track of this stuff. All right, next. What about their political success? What's your opinion of his political success? This is a guy that... Well, I think it's just a, a ten. He established democracy as we know it. Basically, he he laid down the foundation for democracy in every major Western civilization. So tough, tough to top that. Yeah, can't get much better. Can't get much better. He ended the monarchy. He became the first consul. Invented the idea of the consul. Basically, invented checks and balances too, because there's co-consuls. Yeah, the idea. Of, you're absolutely right. The idea of checks and balances. I agree with you. And he established this idea of people power that even yeah. Augustus sort of had to obey. Maybe yeah. Caesar didn't understand that, but In Augustus terms. was, yeah, you need to at least pretend to derive your power from the people. That was a very yeah. Roman idea, and it's one, as you said, that resonates very much today in the democracies, uh, certainly, of, of the West. So, a 10. For sure. For you... And a 10 for me. I don't think you could possibly give him anything less than that. All right. What is their cool hero factor? Um, I mean, he was a court jester, so. That, I mean, actually, no. I guess the cool hero factor would be making an oath while having blood drip down on him, wielding a knife. That's like kind of a cool moment or whatever. Oh, yeah. That's a movie moment. Yeah. You could just imagine kind of the smoke machine going in the background and the kind of the stirring music. Yeah. Everybody staring at him, knife in hand. Blood dripping down his torso. Blood dripping down his muscly torso. Actually, do you think it's muscly or do you think he was like some kind of skinny, skinny bean? Um... I wouldn't be able to tell you, though. I don't think people's physiques were all that great back then, so... Yeah. I think he was probably... I imagine him being... This is not a guy that goes to the gym, but he's a guy that lives a tough life. I think the Romans lived tough lives. I think they were hard. Yeah. Uh, so, all right. So, anyways, what is the cool hero factor? Is he cool? Is he cool, or is he... I don't know. Or is he... I don't know. I'm a little hung up on this one. You're not helping me. Me too. I think I think as a standalone kind of guy, he. I think as a standalone kind of guy, he's. there's nothing really that sets him apart from the rest. But I think he had some cool moments. He definitely had cool moments, and I think his death is extremely cool. Yeah. Yeah, actually, that's like a fairy tale kind of thing. A hundred percent. Speared... Speared your nemesis, knockout. your cousin. <laughs> Double knockout. 
All right, so is this like a seven or an eight, or is it a... I'm going to give it a... I, I'm, I'm sort of seven Seven and a half. I'm going to go in between. You're going to go, ooh, first half number. This is a big one. Very nice. I like the half number. All right. Um, lasting impact on the world. What is zero to ten? Ten. Is, for sure. He basically laid the, laid the foundation for all of Western civilization, like I said. I agree with you. I'm going to give him a ten as well. Uh, by the way, I'm making funny gestures to Mateo because he's speaking sometimes and turning to the left. The mic is on the right. And we've received pe- feedback from many of you saying that... I'm trying my best. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> You're doing a great job. But anyways, my only... I'm going to do a 10 as well. Definitely a 10. But the last... We did a 10 for Aeneas on impact and we did a 10 for Romulus on impact and now a 10 for Brutus on impact... At what point does this streak end? Well, I mean, these guys are kind of like the founding fathers of Rome, we could say. So I think like later on, later on, we're going to start seeing some, some, some different scores out there for lasting impact. I think you're right. I think that this streak breaks very, very soon. So, Mateo, we have a score. That score is 70 Romulus got a 50 Aeneas got a 46 This guy blew the doors off Yeah I mean He was pretty influential A 70.5 Out of a total possible 80? 20 times 4 is 80 Yeah? Yeah Wow That's very high That is very high Hard to top that's an 88.125%. That's a B plus. He's in B plus territory. Almost good enough to get in those AB classes. That's right. <laughs> you get the sense that he would be in the AP classes. Well, he was nicknamed an idiot, so. That is true. <laughs> that is true. He was nicknamed an idiot. All right. This brings us to the key question here. Does Lucius Junius Brutus belong in our Hall of Heroes? For sure. Yeah, definitely. He's, I think of what we've seen so far, he's the most heroic guy. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Brutus, you are the first member of the Hall of Heroes. You're there alone, buddy. So very sorry. Hopefully you won't be there alone for very long, but you deserve it. Congratulations. Yeah, props. Props to you, LJ. I'm going to call him LJ. So this brings us to the last part of our ranking, which is... I think the hardest and the most fun, which is the alternative history. What would the world have been without Lucius Junius Brutus? Maybe this one isn't so hard. Same as impact on the world. I mean, without him, uh, Rome would have continued being kings. They may or may not have expanded to the size they did. Yeah. But we can't say that Western societies or societies around the world wouldn't be democracies, but they definitely um, wouldn't be democracies as we know it, I think. Yeah, we can't know if Rome would eventually have evolved into a republican system of government. Right. We can't know. Because it wasn't that uncommon from their kind of um, political sphere. like People from their kind of same cultural trees. Yeah, you're thinking about like the Greeks, yeah. for example. 
Yeah, it's true. I mean, maybe they would have gotten there eventually, but it certainly happened then most definitely because of him. And yeah, so, true. and the impact of the Roman Republican system of government is permeates every aspect of our lives, even in countries that are not, that don't have a Republican form of government. It's something that people around the world aspire to. And Brutus is most definitely at the very heart of that the birth of the re- Republican concept. For sure. Thank so, you, Brutus. Thank you, Brutus. Huge impact. That was tons of fun. Yeah. Time to wrap up. So to wrap up this time, I have we have a few things that we need to address. First of all, we've received tons of feedback from all of you. Please keep giving the feedback. We're trying to adjust to it. We've add, added people to our list. We've taken people off the list. We're trying to get better technically. Hopefully the volume on this one doesn't uh, annoy people as much yeah. as it has in the past. Hopefully my voice is a little more animated and not as a depressed sounding as, as No, you weren't, de- you weren't depressed. It's just, it was a hard listen for it me. Was, okay, so to the listeners, Mateo finally listened to our first, or you listened to the... No, the most recent one. You listened to the most recent one on Romulus. Yeah. And late at night. And I woke up in the morning to a text from you saying, oh my God, I sound depressed. Yeah. I just didn't realize it, but it was really, really cringy to listen to. Well, I think part of the problem is I've been sort of dragging you out of bed to do the podcast. So maybe I should have you run around the block or something before we do podcasts so that you're you're a little more animated. Or do some push-ups. Drop drop and give me 20, and then we'll do the podcast. Yeah, in your dreams. <laughs> okay, so anyways, hopefully we're working through these technical issues. Uh, I want to thank our listeners that exist in many different countries, something that makes me very proud. But most importantly, I want to give a shout-out to key listener group in Colombia. This is not what? the Colombia with the U-M. This is Colombia, the country of. We have listeners in Colombia, Mateo, and some of them said that they were a little annoyed when I went down the list of countries that were listening to us and I did not mention. My family members? That some of them are our family members. Nice. <laughs> and, and in fact, I think that many people listening right now may be family members. And so shout out to Colombia and to our family. Thank you so much for listening. You guys rock. I'd like to do something else, Mateo. I would like to read a review or two. Okay. So I want to pick one out that's that's my favorite, and I'd like you to read one as well. Okay? All right. So by the way, this one I just saw for the first time, this second, as I'm staring at my, I'm staring at my, my iPad here. So here it is. This is written by Com C, or Com C's. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> that makes sense. Com C's. Sorry, Com C's. Forget Netflix. This is what you should be listening to for entertainment: engaging, fresh, informative presentations brought to you by an endearing father-son duo. You don't have to be a history nerd to enjoy, but you just may become one after an episode or two. Plus, you'll enjoy the special feature at the end of each episode inviting you to grade the heroism of the likes of Romulus and Aeneas. Don't miss. There's nothing else out there like this, and there won't be anytime soon. Comsees, thank you so much. That's an yep. awesome review. High praise by Comsees. High <laughs> praise by Comsees. Uh, 
Well, here's another review. <laughs> well, a long time ago, I was a Latin teacher. I would have given anything for a student who was excited about Roman history and mythology as I was. A huge bonus, the interaction between father and son, an absolute delight. Um, I appreciate the, the compliment. I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying the podcast so far, and I hope uh, I put up a better performance for you today. Guys, thank you so much, and thank you for these reviews. Please, everyone, go to iTunes and leave a review. It makes a huge impact. First of all, it inspires us to keep going, and we have a very long list of heroes to get through. So the inspiration is is something that is super valuable and welcome. Uh, your words of, of uh, your feedback and your encouragement means the world to us. But it also helps this podcast show up higher in in the Apple search results. So please keep leaving reviews. Please keep listening and sending us feedback. We are extremely grateful to you all. For sure. So that's it for this episode. Next episode, Mateo, we are going to be covering somebody that I know is near and dear to your heart. Oh, Cincinnati. Cincinnati. I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting for it too. So I don't know if you noticed. Do you ever look at the list that I, I post on our website? No. You don't? No, I, I don't do any of the <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. At any rate, I spend time on that list, and there were two other guys on that list that we were going to cover as Lost Roman Heroes, and after doing a little more preliminary research, I decided to cut them out. So the next one is Cincinnatus, which for our listeners here in the U.S. is a has special significance and it's very much related to the Cincinnati. found the founding well yes Cincinnati that is true but also I don't know if you know this but George Washington was referred to by many as our Cincinnati really yeah I had no idea we'll talk more about that in the next episode we don't want to give too much away now no we don't want to give it away right now goodbye then goodbye to you all thank you so much and we'll talk to you again next week